0: Great to see you all here this morning hello to you in the balcony ronnie's back all is good in the world uh it's great to see you all um if you're new here you're visiting you're very very welcome um, uh, we are as you can see still uh, encouraging certain measures in place we feel that's the safest way that we can do things at the moment uh, even though we're not required to do so we just feel it's the most honouring and loving thing we can do for those amongst us who may be slightly more vulnerable, so we are encouraging wearing masks, especially during singing and a little bit of social distancing and stuff, and you've all got these lovely stickers um, so you can see where other people are at. Um, We've been doing a series, I think this is part four, we're doing a series on climate Um, change in the environment. It's been an outstanding series. We've had some fantastic speakers to date, and today is going to be no exception. Um, So without further ado, would you give a warm welcome to the wonderful Rachel Mosey, who is going to take us through part four. Rachel, Rachel, Rachel.
1: I don't quite think that was deserved. You haven't heard it yet. Okay. So, I am continuing this amazing series on what we can all do in the climate crisis. And there's a picture here which I took when I was in the northwest coast of Scotland earlier this week. Not this week, I wish it was this week, it was in August. Um, and I just think it's a really lovely reminder of beauty creation, and actually, most importantly, what's actually at stake. So the part that we all play in the climate crisis as individuals, and also as a church, is completely unique. And one of the things that I've learned from this series of amazing speakers that we've had is actually our perspectives are completely different, our experiences are completely different, and where we've all come from are different as well. And I have learned so much in the last four weeks, no, three weeks, four weeks. Um, and it's a topic that I encounter every single day. So in week one, for the, just a brief recap for you all, in week one, Ruth outlined why we as Christians should be responding to the issues of environmental destruction. Chris in week two shared how Christians had led transformation in the past of societal and governmental change, particularly through the abolition of the slave trade. And last week, Howard took us on his own personal journey to understand how and why we need to act. And climate change is a justice issue. It's impacting the poor, the vulnerable, the marginalized, We all have a part to play, but we can all play our part. So if we just look very briefly at Proverbs 31, 9. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Our role is clear. We need to speak up. We need to make our voices heard in this, and We aren't doing it on the topic of climate change in the ways that we have done in the past. And why is this? What is holding us back? What is stopping us from acting? So there's three things that the last three speakers have all mentioned as well about things that may be stopping us from acting. Why aren't we doing more to support those who are impacted most? Why aren't we doing more to help our brothers and sisters across the world? So they've raised all these reasons but, but what is it? Are we being apathetic? Are we just waiting for someone else to do something? Are we overwhelmed? I don't know where to start. I've got you know, other things to be getting on with, a few Netflix box sets to be watching. Or are we anxious and crippled into inaction? So what are our barriers in this? And, and actually what can we do to, to raise the roof on this stuff? So I'm going to spend some time walking through what we can do, what's already happening, and why our role is so important in what is a crisis. In case anyone was under any illusion, we are in a global crisis. Let's start with the facts. So climate change will impact every living thing on the planet. Just going to say that again, it's going to impact every living thing on the planet. Our planet's warming, it's because of human activity, and we needed to act 30 years ago. But hindsight is a great thing, so we now only have 10 years to act. I don't know about you, but the last 10 years have gone by in an absolute flash. Uh, Rolling in the Deep was the best-selling single of 2010 by Adele. Um, and... You know, there's so many things in the last 10 years that that could have been done but weren't done, but actually some stuff did also happen. So last year, the UN and various other partners announced a decade of action. That was meant to kickstart progress, it was meant to accelerate things, and that was all announced in 2020. The next 10 years were gonna be immense. You are forgiven for knowing that wasn't happening because there was sort of other stuff going on in 2020, the lost year as I like to call it, um, but it doesn't it does mean as a result of that, that priorities were shifted so the next 10 years this is urgent. Climate change is also being talked about from the playground to the boardroom. I'm, it's on the curriculum, climate change is within the curriculum and, you know, I'm sure we're all very aware of some of the, the discussions that are happening kind of in businesses and stuff, and I'll, I'll talk a bit more about that as well. So stuff is happening, leaders are acting, and there's a groundswell of engagement and action. Um, people are being challenged, economic models are being transformed. But why am I here talking to you today? So I work in sustainability. I work in sustainability at the London Stock Exchange, and I've worked in the corporate sustainability space for about 15 years. In that time, I have been flavor of the month. I've definitely not been flavor of the month. I have been ignored. I have been whisked onto platforms to talk about what we're doing, but we're surrounded by so many buzzwords in this space as well. Um, It's really interesting to see that You know, the reason I love my job is because I can live my values every day. I can see thinking shift. I can see action being inspired, and I can help to change behavior. So over the years, I've seen some of the most incredible stories of businesses and organizations who are innovating to try and change the world. There is a group of organizations called B Corps, or Benefit Corporations, that I've got a few pictures of on the screen here. They have transformed their business models to ensure that not only are they creating profit, but they're also investing in society. They're giving certain percents of profits to society, to to charities and things as well. And there's very, very strong benchmarks here around actually what they have to deliver to achieve that accreditation. There's indicators around their environmental impact as well. When I was pulling this together, I laughed deeply to myself because it does look a little bit like a middle class Amex bill doesn't it? Um, But it is a real marker as well actually as to how privilege has also been a historic divider in response to climate action. So the impacts of climate change are decisive enough already so really let's try and not make the solutions look like that too. That's why we do have to collectively work together. So we are all consumers and it's important for us to consider if and where we have the resources to support organizations that that have broader values as well. Um, Some of the greatest responses I've seen from businesses around this space have been the most obvious. Uh, UPS, the uh, delivery driver people, um, in the US, they Think U.S. roads here. This is an important factor to this story. Um, In the U.S., they're driving, they're doing their deliveries, but they never make a left turn. They always only turn right on a U.S. road because it's the most efficient route. They're saving miles and miles of miles, and they are preserving petrol, fuel, diesel, all the rest of it. Those avoided emissions from just kind of transforming how they drive equates to 20,000 cars off the road. Obviously saves them money and fuel. It also actually is a massive um, uh, leads to a safer working environment as well because you're basically not knocking people down when you're making a dangerous turn. Um, But also the important thing about this is that it's not new. It's been happening since the 1960s but They've just transformed this into a really good dialogue for their business. Um, But it's also showing how thrift-led decision-making is driving sort of environmental and and economic economic action. Um, There's also a search engine that plants trees called Ecosia. You can just change your search engine from Google. Um, It works like any other search engine, um, but its sponsored content supports tree planting initiatives around the world. Um, There is also, I've heard about in, I think, Denmark or Sweden, um, a pair of trainers that once you've worn them through, you plant them, and then you grow a tree. Um, And then, you know, we get on to some of the the more nitty-gritty stuff. The CEO of Unilever, who, you know, Unilever produces brands like Sif, Domestos, Dove, Bovril, Cornetto, all the things we've got in our cupboards, Um, he told shareholders, Paul Polman, back in 2010, that he was going to prioritize sustainability above profit. He was going to reduce executive pay, and he was going to invest in reducing emissions in the product lifecycle. Um, it's worth noting that you know when you wash your hair, or you use your shower gel in the shower, or however you like to cleanse yourself, um, most of the emissions actually come from your use. They don't come from producing the product. So just you can use that in the pub. Um, so these are, these are things that are happening. Businesses are transforming their models and they're redirecting investment back into the environment. And also, there's so much stuff about this. If you want to see some incredible innovations on this, look no further than the Earthshot Prize, which is spearheaded by David Attenborough and Prince William. It's on iPlayer, or however you read, your BBC. Um, And it offers five million pound prizes every year for the next 10 years. There's the most incredible stories coming out of the the planet. Um, And it's really interesting to see how passion-led individuals are actually leading the way on this as well. Also, if you are an innovator, there is a million pounds up for grabs, so do check it out. Um, Part of my role in what I do is people asking me what they can do how they can make a difference. And I think one of the reasons that we are so crippled with inaction um, is because we don't see an immediate impact that a simple change in our diet or our lifestyle will have. Um, Thinking back to Howard's talk last week, the average human has a footprint, not a footprint, a carbon footprint, of 10 tons. Can we just go to the next slide, like Chris Whitty? Um, But what does tonne tens actually mean? To help us visualize it, a ton of CO2 is equivalent to 10 meters squared bubble. So it's twice the size of a double-decker bus. It's much taller than me. And we're emitting at least 10 of these into the atmosphere. We have to halve that. But we live in an instant culture. We have to act selflessly in this thing. and you know, this is where we really do need to speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy, and in knowledge that you know, our voices will be heard and our actions will be noted. But how can we change our positive impacts to negative impacts or other to positive ones? Uh, when I was younger, I used to help with the weekly Sainsbury's shop, massive responsibility. Uh, but for as long as I can remember, mum always took her own bags into the supermarket, it was just what we did. I'm a child of the 80s, apparently that was... We're having a resurgence, guys. Um, I absolutely love packing the bags. I was in charge of the cool bag. Very, very big responsibility. But when we'd paid and packed up the bags, we would then be given 2P for each bag we bought in. Does anyone remember when that used to happen in supermarkets? You used to get given free money, It's great. Um, so we'd be given two P for every bag that we bought in. Um, and then each week, that 10 P or so would go into a money box that was shaped like a globe that sat by our front door. And at the end of the year, we'd count up that money, and it would be donated to Bibles for the World. Um, it's a really small example of an action that takes very little effort. It's a created habit, and it goes on to support something bigger. And we need to start thinking like that. So, how can we create collective action, and what is the role that we can each play? Um, Chris mentioned, you know, we are one person in nearly eight billion. So, does that actually matter? You know, I can buy local and switch the lights off as much as I like, but will it actually make a difference? I'd say that as Christians, we have a moral obligation to act. Never before have we been more informed about what's happening, but we need to move together to protect. That's me in eight billion. It's impacting the poor, and it's impacting the vulnerable first, so we should protect God's creation. If we move to Philippians 2, verses one to four. not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. We are part of a Christian community of change makers. In fact, we are one of nearly 2.5 billion Christians across the globe, all of which want to see God's kingdom come. It means that we're not alone. Can we go to the next slide? But we need to leverage each other to make a difference here. So suddenly, you can see we're not just one, we're more, as per my visual representation. So earlier this week, I was at a work event on sustainable finance. And this doesn't happen to me all the time. It was one of those moments you go, this is weird. Um, The attendees included Alok Sharma, our COP26 government representative as well as Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury. It was one of those weird moments in life where church kind of came into my office, quite literally. Um, And both speakers had mentioned the recent campaigns by faith leaders around the world to encourage climate action. And I got a quote here from the Bishop of Reading. She recently went to 10 Downing Street with other faith leaders to to, to deliver this message. I'm proud and delighted to be standing together with other faith leaders today as we represent the millions who belong to faith communities to urge our government to put aside short-term political considerations and act on planetary warming. It's the key issue of the decade. There must be nothing half-hearted about our government's leadership of COP26. Lives and livelihoods are already being lost across the globe due to the climate crisis. The survival of future generations is at stake. We all have a global moral responsibility. And today we urge our government to act with confidence and conviction. They have our prayers and support. So as Christians, We're not alone in our heart for the vulnerable and in seeking justice. And there's another slide which shows this. Again, great visual representation. We're joining together with other faiths means that our Christian heart is being amplified here. We're part of a much bigger movement which is seeking security for the poor and the vulnerable and for the protection of our planet. And next week, Ruth is going to talk more about actually what this means to be a good neighbour, to protect the poor and the vulnerable. And as we've learned from the last few weeks of talks as well, the consistent drumbeat um, is showing that we're at a tipping point. We're at a decision junction. There's a need for action, and it's needed from everyone from you, me, families, friends, governments, leaders. And Again, it's like I'm doing an advert for BBC iPlayer here. There's some incredible content on there if you want to look and if you've seen it. There's something called The Trick, which talks about Climategate, which happened 10 years ago, um, about how the scientific data around climate change was alleged to be falsified. Um, The recent announcement as well of Coldplay, Who's, who are going to do a carbon-neutral um, tour and it's going to be powered by cyclists pedalling. Um, you know, we don't have to be quite as advanced and wacky as that, but our role is, as Christians and as individuals, as we enter COP26, like, we need to really figure out what we can do. So, what can we do? giving you some handy, handy things here. We can pray. I think this is the most important thing we need to do, especially now. In two weeks, less than two weeks, leaders will be gathered together. It's an absolute integral junction for us and decisions need to be made. There's already been some negative stuff coming into the press about countries wanting to, to move the trajectory in. we just need to ensure that that's um, not happening. Um, we need to pray for CEOs who are, you know, leading these economic models for governments, for countries, but we need to pray for their boldness, for ambition, and for innovation. We can also talk, I'm pretty good at talking, but we need to talk within our spheres of influence as well. We've all got people that we know that we can speak to. You know, we can be an ambassador for our world and its beauty, encourage others to think differently and also to live differently. We can also campaign. Writing to your MP, it seems like a really sort of uh, thing to do, a little bit boring, but it's so important that voices are heard in different spheres as well. Also, you can speak up at work, ask questions. Is your business, do you think that you maybe work for, doing enough? Is your school, is your environment that you hang out in every day, is the people that you buy the most from, do you think they're doing enough? Ask them questions. Do you come into contact with businesses or organizations in other ways? Ask them. You'll probably find someone like me, who's really fractious, just sat there going, yes, I'm on it. But it's certainly worth asking and and, ask and finding out what's happening. Make your voice heard. Um, you can also support. So there's so many charities and organizations doing this. We've talked about fund a lot. There's loads of information around about that. They have been banging this drum for years. But there's also, look on our doorstep, we've got the Wetlands Center literally down the road in Barnes. There's an organization called Trees for Cities that campaigns and, and plants trees in cities and urban areas. You've got WWF, and to quote them, there's more than just the panda Um, There's amazing organizations doing so much. Um, You can also learn, Chris mentioned this in in his talk, we need to be informed on this. Um, It's changing really quickly, and the science is really clear, but we're in a privileged position to understand what is happening. But it's also massively confusing. So things aren't clear, they aren't easy to understand. So if you can spend some time maybe translating that for someone else or helping others to understand... That's certainly a step. And then finally, we can reduce. So think in halves. We need to halve our impact. What does that look like? What can you reduce? What can you stop? What can you cut out? And let's not get overwhelmed by all this. Howard sent some amazing resources through the home groups, um, which is really going to help to kind of plot this stuff out. But thinking more. I suppose dedicated about your actions is certainly a first step. So finally, and and this actually is a really great resource as well, it's called Count Us In. There's just some really simple tips on there. Um, So let's not feel overwhelmed. Let's not feel anxious or apathetic. We are a community of passionate individuals who do want to make a difference. And if you do just one thing, it's better than doing nothing at all. Uh, Finally, because I am going to stop talking, um, both Alok Sharma and Justin Welby mentioned Swampy earlier this week. And I know Ruth mentioned the, uh, what was once eccentric climate ambassador of the 90s. He seems to have been a distinct marker in history on climate action, probably quite unfairly actually. Um, But Swampy's having a resurgence. And as the Archbishop said, in a moment where I actually had to refrain from punching the air. There are now swampies in the boardroom, and there are also swampies in the pulpit. I'm going to invite the band up and we're going to pray. So let's just... um Join in prayer together and focus on what we think we need to do, but also what we feel that needs to happen in our spheres of influence and outside those. So thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege of knowledge, that we've got the privilege of choice and that, Lord, we have the privilege to act now. Help us to make wise choices, both for our own lifestyles, and, Lord, encourage us to lead and amplify our voices as Christians. We lift up leaders in business, in government, and across the globe who are about to embark on discussions and decisions that will impact billions of people. May they seek your heart for justice and for protection of the vulnerable. And Lord, we lift up the church. We pray that the time is now for 2.5 billion Christians around the world to amplify their voices through word and action. Amen.